I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World... We are continuing our series on artificial intelligence. And on this episode, we're going to be focusing on public policy. What should lawmakers know about AI and what should be done to moderate or legislate it? Here to have this discussion, I'm really pleased to welcome my guest, Congressman Jay Obernolte, who represents California's 23rd Congressional District. He holds a master's degree from UCLA in artificial intelligence and is one of the leading voices in the House on proposed legislation. Jay, welcome, and thank you for joining me on Newt's World. Well, thank you, Newt. It's great to see you. Frankly, it's a pleasant surprise to realize that in a rapidly evolving field like this, we have a member who has the level of knowledge you do. First of all, earning a bachelor's degree in engineering and applied science from Caltech in itself is pretty impressive. And then a master's degree in artificial intelligence from UCLA. You started a video game development company called Farsight Studios. Then you were elected to Big Bear City Council, where you served as mayor, then California State Legislature, and now you're a member of Congress. Did you ever think that you'd bring together sort of the world of artificial intelligence and political capability? Oh, I never thought that this would be my future at all. In fact, if you had even suggested to me 10 years ago that I would be sitting in Congress, I would say you were crazy. I just got into public service through a desire to serve my community, and one thing led to another. But I'll tell you, it's been simultaneously the hardest job I've ever done, but also the most rewarding. Speaker McCarthy has been working to increase the awareness of artificial intelligence. And I think two weeks ago had a bipartisan briefing from MIT, just trying to bring people up to speed. What's your view of how really important artificial intelligence is going to be as we look at the future? I think it's going to be critically important. It's going to be an inflection point in the development of human civilization, every bit as important as the invention of the printing press or the industrial revolution 
for the invention of the internet. It's going to be critical. And I think that in general, although I think that there's a lot of hesitation and a lot of fear, and there's no denying that it's going to be disruptive, I think in general, it's going to be overwhelmingly positive. We're going to look back on the advent of AI as something that was empowering to humans, not something that replaced them. Can you just put in simple everyday terms, what is artificial intelligence and what is its core capability that makes it so potentially impactful? Let me use terms that are not technical and more approachable because there are technical definitions of what constitutes AI and what differentiates it from traditional computer software. But rather than going there, let's just broadly define artificial intelligence as something that allows a computer to do a task that before now could only be done by a human and that makes the computer look and seem very human-like. So I think that that's a definition that people will find more approachable and that everyone can relate to. So if you talk about what AI is going to be good at, it's going to automate a lot of tasks that right now require a huge input of human capability and manpower. And it's going to do it in ways that empower people and allow them to spend that labor on higher order uses. I'll give you an example, something that is already happening now. This is a short-term benefit of AI. AI is starting to be used for the automated reading of medical procedures like CT scans. And as it turns out, artificial intelligence can read a CT scan in seconds and can detect tumors that are just forming that are so small that a human radiologist would not even see them forming yet. So from a patient standpoint, you get your CT scan read more quickly, less expensively, and more accurately. And you have this added capability of detecting cancer long before any symptoms show up, which, as I'm sure you know, greatly improves the outlook for treating that cancer if you've caught it early. So that's a huge win for human civilization. And that's just one tiny facet of what AI is going to do. And that's today. That's not 10 years from now. It's happening now. How much of that can be done at long distance so that, for example, rural areas could actually access world-class analytics? As you point out, one of its benefits is that where a rural hospital in, for example, my hometown of Big Bear Lake, which is a little mountain ski town, whereas you would have had to send that off and maybe wait 24 hours for a human radiologist to read it somewhere else because there's not a radiologist on staff, this could be done in minutes and you'll have the result right now. I mean, the other area that it seems to me is emerging very rapidly is in defense. I've been noticing, for example, that the Ukrainians are now using drones and other assets in ways that are virtually revolutionary, at creating a sort of pinpointable battlefield, and which requires a huge amount of analytic capability. And the Israelis have developed now their Iron Dome, which analyzes in real time ballistic missile flights and determines which ones matter ignores the others, and just focuses all the defense efforts directly against the greatest threat. I mean, in that sense, isn't the speed and the accuracy of artificial intelligence going to lead to virtually a revolution in the art of war? I think you're right. And I also think that it might lead to deterrence in the same way that the development of nuclear weapons led to deterrence. You know, when we live in a world where the thought of war is so terrible that it's something that everyone tries to avoid at all costs. It incentivizes everyone to come up with solutions other than war. 
And as we get better and better at doing things like delivering drone-based weaponry, I think that that will be even more true. What do you think is the appropriate role of Congress in dealing with this? And what is it that members of Congress should know about the emergence of artificial intelligence? Well, I'm a firm believer that the role of government is constitutionally limited. And especially in a society that values free markets the way that ours does, I think that you have to be very deliberate when you insert government into regulation of an industry. So to me, we have to ask ourselves, is this an industry that needs to be regulated? And if so, what should the role of the federal government be in creating that regulation? I think it's pretty clear that in addition to the potential upsides of AI, there are also substantial risks and substantial consumer harms that potentially need to be mitigated. And that, to me, is a good reason for government regulation. You know, if you've got a list of potential harms and you want to enact consumer protection, then you need to create a regulatory framework to address those issues. Uh, But I also think it's very important that we not go too far. If you look at what the European Union has been doing recently in creating a huge new government bureaucracy to essentially control who's allowed to develop and use AI and who is not, I think that that would be a dangerous path for us to take, particularly because it empowers bureaucracy over the elected representatives of the people. And I think that's an abdication of our responsibility as legislators if we empower the executive branch agencies and aren't clear about what we're trying to regulate and how we want to do it. Shouldn't the regulatory approach focus on outcomes rather than processes? That is, if I'm using AI to cheat you or to harass you or to do something, then I'm responsible, not the AI system. We don't hold cars accountable for accidents, for example. We hold drivers accountable. And we haven't tried to regulate that nobody should be allowed to drive because after all, you might be in a wreck. We'd all be back on horses. So to what extent can you focus on the negative outcomes and making them illegal rather than focusing on the process? I think it's critical to do that. And if you look at some of the debate around AI that has occurred so far, I think that you realize how important that is. So some of the negative outcomes of AI so far have been widely publicized. One of them is that, as it turns out, the early generation of AI-empowered facial recognition did not recognize African-American faces nearly as well as Caucasian faces. And that was a factor of the way that that AI algorithm was trained. It was unintentional, but it was verifiable. And then lately, there has been a lot of controversy over the use of AI to automatically screen resumes before a human has to look at them. And it's been proven in the early generation of that AI that you can detect some bias against certain socioeconomic classes of people. But as you say, if you focus on the outcome and not the tool, then regulation becomes very easy because we already have laws that prohibit discrimination on the basis of things like skin color or ethnic background or socioeconomic background. So it doesn't matter whether or not you use AI to do that. If it's done intentionally, it's already against the law. So we don't need a new regulatory framework to guard against those harms. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. 
Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Newt. In my new book, March the Majority, The Real Story of the Republican Revolution, I offer strategies and insights for everyday citizens and for seasoned politicians. It's both a guide for political success and for winning back the majority in 2024. March the Majority outlines the 16-year campaign to write the contract with America, explains how we elected the first Republican House majority in 40 years, and how we worked with President Bill Clinton to pass major reforms, including four consecutive balanced budgets. March the Majority tells the behind-the-scenes story of how we got it done. Here's a special offer for my podcast listeners. You can pre-order March the Majority right now at Gingrich360.com slash book, and it'll be shipped directly to you on June 6th. Don't miss out on this special offer to pre-order my new book today. Go to Gingrich360.com slash book and order your copy now. Order it today at Gingrich360.com slash book. To what extent do you think that AI will weaken jobs and to what extent will it actually create a whole new generation of jobs? Well, I think it's going to be very economically disruptive. And if you look at throughout human history, the different technological 
revolutions that have occurred, they have all been disruptive. In fact, we use a word in the English language called Luddite to describe someone who's resistant to the advancement of technology. And that comes from pre-industrial revolution England, where a group of textile workers burned the new automated textile looms in protest of the fact that they were going to take their jobs away. Those were the Luddites, and you know we still talk about them because of the action that they took. Looking back on that, though, no one can deny that those textile mills were a good thing for humanity. I mean, it was the first time that high-quality cloth garments were available to middle-income people, the first time ever. So that's great for most of humanity, not so great for textile workers. And you're going to see exactly the same thing happen with AI. It's going to be overwhelmingly a good thing because it's going to free up human labor for higher order uses, but it's going to be disruptive to the people who work in the industries that are displaced. Does that become a challenge for us in helping people make the transition or is it part of a natural process? I think both, but I think government will have a role to play Uh, not only in retraining people who have seen this disruption happen, but also in informing young people as to what a productive life in 22nd century America looks like. In particular, I think we're going to have to completely re-examine our approach to education. We have been stuck in this 100-year-old model where we assume that people at the beginning of their lives go to school, acquire an education, get a degree, and then have a career that relies on that education that can productively make a living for them for 50, 60, 70 years. Uh, You know, I think that that is definitely going to have to be a thing of the past because the pace of technology is changing so quickly. I think that we're going to have to embrace a future where everyone has to be a proponent of lifelong education, where instead of being educated at the beginning of our lives, we make a commitment to remaining educated our entire lives. And AI can actually help us with that. That's one of the things AI is very good at, is creating a personalized approach to the access of information, which is what education is. So I actually think AI will be disruptive in that way, but AI will be essentially very beneficial. I spend a fair amount of time on how bad, for example, some of the big inner city school systems are. But in a sense, you have me sort of opening my mind to the concept that maybe one of the requirements of the next generation is to develop the ability for personalized, constant learning. So people who might well have gone to a terrible school, there are 23 schools in Baltimore City, for example, in which not a single person can do math. That doesn't mean that the rest of their life they can't do math. It may mean that they have to learn it at 20 or 21 or 22, and that AI might well become sort of a personal coach in a way that would have been impossible 30 years ago. I think that's absolutely right. But, you know, key to that whole situation is a desire to learn math. And I think that's what AI is going to empower. We're going to, in the future, need to teach young people that they can learn and teach young people how to learn. And then for the rest of their lives, they'll be empowered to learn whatever it is they want to learn. And I actually think that's a really optimistic future, you know, full of citizens who are in places that they are because they choose to be and because they want to be. Some people have suggested to me that the great danger from artificial intelligence isn't scenes like the Terminator, you know, where the artificial intelligence systems have risen in rebellion, but in fact, the power that artificial intelligence gives a totalitarian system like China to be able to literally track everybody in real time at a level of detail that we would have thought impossible. To what extent is that threat to freedom 
from the sheer power that the state acquires if it's not controlled and carefully regulated? No, I think it's a very serious concern, and I think we need to take it seriously. One of the things that I often talk about in the context of the regulation of AI is that in addition to putting guardrails around industry, which is what most people think of when they talk about regulation, we also need to put guardrails around government. Because of the point that you raised, you look at the way that AI is already being used in countries like China to enact what is essentially the world's largest surveillance state, where personal information about people is aggregated and put together in very dystopian ways to create things like government loyalty predictions and scores and to condition people's access to resources on their loyalty to the government. You know, that's something that we would never want to have happen here. But we can take steps in the short term to prevent that. And that's one of the things that I'm a firm believer in is that in the short term, the best way of guarding against the malicious uses of AI is to create a federal regulatory framework on the accumulation of personal digital data. That's something that we have relegated to the states before now. And I think that it's very dangerous to allow that to continue. I think that we need to keep track of what people are allowed to collect about other people and store because AI is really good at taking this aggregated personal digital data and putting it together to create a behavioral model that can make eerily accurate predictions of what people will do in the future and then use that information to influence that behavior. We have companies that are already using AI that way. That's something that I don't think is not beneficial. It can be used in ways like the influence of public opinion, you know, ways that are very corrosive to a democracy. Can you talk a little bit about TikTok and the whole concern that TikTok actually combines sort of a mass public access with the potential for analysis and manipulation through artificial intelligence systems. I mean, to what extent is that a real danger? I think it is a real danger, which is not to say that I'm a proponent of banning TikTok. That's a debate we've been having in Congress and we're going to continue to have. But as you know, we had a hearing recently where we had the president of TikTok testify and we asked him questions about the data that TikTok is collecting and what they're doing with it. But the danger there is in allowing a foreign adversary to have access to the private digital data of millions of Americans, does that give potential foreign adversaries the power to do things like interfere in our elections, influence public opinion, spread disinformation? And the answer to that question is very clearly yes, which is why we need to pay more attention to the data that people are allowed to collect and what they're allowed to do with it. Should we try to find a way to have TikTok sold in effect to an American company or some kind of barrier? And is there any way to stop that data from going to China? I asked some very detailed technical questions about exactly that in our hearing with the president of TikTok a few weeks ago. And I emerged from that conversation with the thought that, no, it is not possible to prevent that from occurring. So instead, I think what we need to focus on is enacting privacy legislation that prevents information like that from being collected in the first place. And that will solve the problem, not just for TikTok, but for any malicious player that is trying to accumulate this data and use it for ways that are not good for our society. So does that become sort of the equivalent of HIPAA for all personal data? 
Yes, exactly. And what we're talking about is a framework that actually encapsulates HIPAA. So we want to create one level digital playing field for everyone with a set of rules that everyone knows and understands, including for healthcare data. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Newt. In my new book, March the Majority, The Real Story of the Republican Revolution, I offer strategies and insights for everyday citizens and for seasoned politicians. It's both a guide for political success and for winning back the majority in 2024. March to the Majority outlines the 16-year campaign to write the contract with America, explains how we elected the first Republican House majority in 40 years, and how we worked with President Bill Clinton to pass major reforms, including four consecutive balanced budgets. March to the Majority tells the behind-the-scenes story of how we got it done. Here's a special offer for my podcast listeners. You can pre-order March the Majority right now at Gingrich360.com slash book, and it'll be shipped directly to you on June 6th. Don't miss out on this special offer. 
to pre-order my new book today. Go to gingrich360.com book and order your copy now. Order it today at gingrich360.com book. What are the countries that are the most advanced in developing artificial intelligence capabilities? Well, undeniably, the United States is in the lead right now. China is right behind us. China passed the United States two years ago in the number of PhDs in computer science. It was graduating every year. And this year, it will graduate double the number of PhDs in computer science. So China, this is an industry that China has recognized as representative of the future. And this is something that they're investing heavily in. I get the impression from you and others that the Europeans, in a sense, are sort of artificially taking themselves out of the game because their regulatory structure is such that it's unlikely that they're going to be the most innovative country system since they're a collection of countries. Does that basically limit the primary competition to the U.S. and China, or are there other players who potentially have this kind of capability? I think there are some very smart people in Europe, and they certainly continue to develop AI. But I'll tell you, in general, the forces that are arrayed against the deployment of AI, even in ways that are beneficial to human society, are the ones that fear disruption. You know, we were talking about a few minutes ago how AI enables the automated reading of CT scans. That's great for everybody except the radiologist. So what would be dangerous is to allow the radiologist to get together and say, you're not allowed to develop AI because we want to keep our jobs. That's what the Luddites were doing. You can understand their point of view, but as a government, it's very dangerous to give in to that kind of thinking because it denies the millions and millions of people that aren't radiologists the benefits of that new technology. So I think that Europe is particularly susceptible to that kind of subversion just because of the political system that they have. Just a few weeks ago, you introduced the Artificial Intelligence for National Security Act. What are you trying to accomplish with that and why do you think it's important? Well, what we're trying to enable is the ability for the Department of Defense to use advanced AI tools in defending against things like cyber attacks from foreign adversaries. As it turns out, AI is often the best defense against the use of AI to try and disrupt the systems of an adversary. So we want to make sure that the DOD had the procurement authority to acquire these tools as they become available. And that's what the purpose of that act is. Chris and I just came back from a week in Seoul, Korea. We had several briefings that indicated that North Korea gets around many of the sanctions because through cybercrime, they're making about a billion, $200 million a year to finance their system. Shouldn't there be some way that NSA and others could use artificial intelligence to try to close off that whole model of income through theft? Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Although we will never succeed in closing off all of those avenues, because one of the ways that countries like North Korea make that income is through extortion, where they encrypt people's digital data and then charge them for the key to unlock it. And that's something that happens because a single employee might have clicked on a malicious link in an email that they shouldn't have opened, right? That's not something that AI can help you guard against. It's something that's going to require better education and some better digital and computer skills from our workforce. But certainly things like denial of service attacks, where you're trying to take down a website, AI it can be very sophisticated and useful in detecting a pattern of usage that is 
an attack and not legitimate use. The other thing I was going to ask you about was in February, you introduced Protecting Against Compromised Internet of Things Technology Act. First of all, I have to say I'm very impressed that you've obviously mastered the art of legislating very quickly. What are you trying to achieve with this bill on protecting against compromised Internet of Things? Well, we have federal legislation that protects against the malicious insertion of foreign components into things like telecommunications equipment. But we are seeing a proliferation of internet-enabled devices that have really permeated every aspect of the way that we live our lives. Our refrigerator might tell us that we're out of milk. We've got a toaster that tells us when the toast is done. The doorbell rings and we have a video of someone even though we're a thousand miles away. So all of these, we call that the internet of things. And we really don't have a federal network capable of detecting when a malicious actor might be able to use that in ways that are contrary to not only data privacy, but also our national security. So that's what this bill does is to establish that list of bad actors and to prohibit the use of those components in IoT devices. Let me say, first of all, how impressed I am, both with your knowledge, but also with your ability to provide leadership in the legislative branch. I think it's just a remarkable asset for the United States to have somebody of your knowledge and your technical background in a position to influence and be part of the public policy debate. And I know how extraordinarily busy you guys are right now. So I'm doubly grateful to you personally for having taken the time to help educate the rest of us. And I look forward very much to chatting with you in the future as this continues to evolve. Well, thank you, Newt. I very much enjoyed our discussion. And yes, let's absolutely do it again. Thank you to my guest, Congressman Jay Obernolte. You can learn more about artificial intelligence and public policy on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newtsworld is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newtsworld, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. 
In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 